Jess from the Project Room. The Icelandic-born visual artist, who goes by the name Shoplifter, invited me to her studio during a recent trip of mine to New York, where she now lives and makes work out of the unusual choice of textiles, human and synthetic hair. Shoplifter had visited the Project Room back in 2011 for an interview during our big question at that time, why do we make things? So this is my chance to follow up and see what she has made since then, while addressing our current big question, how are we remembered? Thanks for listening. So thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here in your studio where there are things, materials, objects, and images everywhere. Yeah, it's quite the um, collection of stuff that I take for inspiration or work with, you know, and I guess I'm a hoarder. <laughs> well, don't you sort of have to be a hoarder to make these complicated things that you make? I mean, how do you know what to keep and what to get rid yes, of? Yes, I think that uh, either, like, I started making these things as an excuse to be a hoarder, uh. or that, no, I, I think that I'm truly, <laughs> I, I think that I'm just simply, truly so inspired by, you know, everyday things, objects, mass-produced things, um, unique uh, finds, bric-a-brac, and uh, um, different, It you know, I might buy something because of the color, mm -hmm. or the shape, or the texture, or the, you know, it's just all kind of, like, if it makes me kind of tick, or, you know, then I like to acquire it, because... Um, I found out a long time ago, I kind of like proved to myself, you know, that uh, it's justified. <laughs> <laughs> it's because part it of the process. Find, it does find its way into my work, most of it. It's incredibly, uh, like, rewarding, you know, when you realize that, that it's not just, you know, hopeless collecting right. and just, you know, like not being able to throw things away. But it really, really, like, no matter when, when, when I feel like you know if I'm making something or even if I'm just like wrapping up a present for a friend you know mm -hmm. like I'll just like reach out my arm and like pick something up that's gonna <laughs> be perfect for the decoration of that or you so know. um so could you give me an example of um something that's that's become useful that maybe you didn't think was useful when you first picked up on it or and I see some um, mannequin legs yeah mannequin legs you know I've been doing these uh, um performances myself where I have uh, I'm laying on my back with my legs in the air and doing like these uh, movements with my legs mm -hmm. that resemble kind of like a lonely striptease plus synchronized swimming, you know, without the water. And so, um, and you know, it's, you know, like my work is so much about vanity and about, you know, like body parts, you know, like and body image. So um, I found, you know, when I find mannequins and, and you know, or parts of them, I just... Mm. get my car, go and pick it up and, and bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> and make use I of mean, it. I mean, my studio is like a playground to me. Yeah. You know, it's like a playground of materials. And uh, whatever I bring here is, you know, like it's very, you know, it's often that I have to, of course, go and get specific things, you know. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to, for example, the series of sculptures called Imaginary Friends, which are these like stick figure characters, mm. um, they are basically made of things that I acquire, you know, and just kind of, I rummage through my things and, you know, start like putting together, you know, characters of 
of some like imaginary kind of shapes and characters mm. from that you know like inspired by the materials mm-hmm. and uh, I was very like happy when I came up with this kind of way of of applying all these things you know that I like to collect and uh, I found a way to put it together into a sculpture mm-hmm. and uh, use it um, directly directly and 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 yeah and because you know like even though you know I'm, I'm better known for using hair and synthetic fiber I I use a lot of different materials or I'm inspired by a lot of different materials mm-hmm. and even though I have been mainly it's been in the foreground so much you know the the hair work mm-hmm. um, you know I, I, I didn't want to leave all the other inspiration behind you mm-hmm. know so um i like to mix it up mm-hmm. you know so it's not just a one-way street yeah so let's talk about your hair work then well in all of it because um as you know one of our topics right now is transformation and it seems as though you almost exclusively work in materials that you're using for a totally different purpose from what they were intended yes i'm really like uh, inspired to take, you know, this mass-produced, you know, material mm. that is synthetic hair that is sold for hair salons as an addition to your own hair and uh, take it out of context and use it in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And um, the wholesale that supplies me with the hair, like, had always, like, a big question mark, what the heck is she doing with all of this <laughs> stuff? Because I would buy it in different... It's a different type of buyer. I would buy like boxes and boxes of something, and mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of packages of hair, mm-hmm. and um, and so like yeah, they were curious to know like what I'm doing with this, you mm-hmm. know, and um, and I just you know because I love to put together, you know, a sculpture or a installation that kind of shows a volume of a material that you're not used to having a lot of volume of. Mm. And I think that um, the excess, you know, and the the abundance or like just the kind of overflowing amount Mm -hmm. of one uh, material like hair, because, you know, we are absolutely not used to having, you know, there is like, you know, the quantity kind of like limit that that we have ideas of, Mm. you know, like it's like either on our hair, head, and, you know, sometimes people with really long hair, you know, but you never see it as, as, a, as a mass. As excess. As excess, you know, so... Right, so, yeah, I'd love to hear more about, you mentioned the, the body, the image of the body, and how, how that's perceived, or how we view yeah, the body. Like, you Can know, you talk about that a bit more with regard to the use of hair? Yeah, or like, you know, just, you know, the way we, we regard our body, you know, as being kind of untamed when the hair is on it mm. and we are constantly trying to tame it tame this growth this plant-like thing that grows on our body and you know all the co- different cultures you know like if you shave your armpits or legs or or you know your private parts or be it whatever you know and and these kind of like trends come and go and and i think that uh it's interesting now we have this big trend of men like wanting to have beards and you know be very kind of manly lumberjack kind of you yes. know, type and and I think you know it goes in and out of fashion 
and that's fine. That's whatever. What do you think about the beard trend? Has it had an impact on you at all? Are you like, oh, suddenly there's a different, like no, you said, a, a trend? I think it's beautiful, you know? I think it's beautiful, and I think it's like, uh, you know, like people you have always used hair, facial hair and, and uh, hair on their head, you know, as a way to to mold their identity or like what we see so it's it's a it's it's one of these things that we can change you know more kind of quickly and easily than other body parts you know without <laughs> or our deep human flaws yeah <laughs> or like without having plastic surgery you know but it's like this ever-changing thing and i think that you know i've always mm. been i've said it many times in interviews you know i'm always inspired you know because uh by people because people have to make creative decisions mm -hmm. when it comes to their hair so i think it brings out some sort of creative personality in everybody because mm -hmm. you know they even if you decide to do nothing with it and just let it go crazy go wild it's also a statement mm -hmm. it's also a creative statement and um and you know we're very like emotional about our looks mostly mm -hmm. most of the time and um you know, and, and sometimes, you know, like when it comes to transition, you know, like transitioning from one look to another, you know, I wanted to have a haircut and short hair when I was 12 and I had my braid cut off and I was horrified. Mm. I mean, I wanted it, but I was not prepared for the change mm. that it, and, and the effect that it had on me. Like I kind of lost my identity and, and, you know, I came home and I like, my, my grandmother had kept her braid, so I wanted to keep mine. And mm. when I came home, I kind of treated this braid like some sort of like lost limb. And really? I put it in a box with like this uh, cellophane kind of window on it. Like, and I, it's almost like a coffin. Wow. And just put my name and date on the back and just kind of, you know, it was like really emotional. Like really, you know. Yeah. It was oh my gosh. So I assume you grew your hair back after that because it sounds like it was traumatizing for you. Yeah, it was really traumatizing. And I had it long, uh, you know, I, I got it long again. And, and But then I got really experimental when I was a teenager and I had like really short hair. Like I was totally fine with it. But being 12, I think that, you know, like I just looked like a boy mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't feel like I looked pretty again anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very shocked that you know that that this 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 little act had caused so much this difference. You were surprised at your own reaction. I was surprised, way. yeah, because I was excited to cut my hair, but yeah. I was like, I guess it was a really bad haircut too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when my daughter was about maybe three. She, we had put her to bed, and then I heard her crying, and I went into her room, and she had given her favorite doll and herself a haircut. Oh my god. In wow. bed. And she was totally freaking out because not at the haircut itself cuz she had didn't know what it looked like, but just I think at the power that she didn't know she had yeah, in yeah. doing something like yeah, that yeah. and then realizing that she couldn't glue it back on. It's permanent. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very permanent. It was and like I saw in her that she was like I did not know I had this ability. Yeah. To actually remove something that you don't just stick back on. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's a very, like, unique feeling. And I oh think that's gosh. probably similar to what I was feeling, you know. I didn't know mm -hmm. that this was such a powerful act. You know, it's probably, like, you know, as, as time goes by, like, when, you know, I've been asked, you know, like, why he was here, you know, like, these, like, things have been popping up in my different, different memories of uh, associated with hair. Mm-hmm. 
And yes, I can say that that kind of contributed probably like subconsciously mostly to me being fascinated with um, the material. Mm -hmm. But it, it was very unconscious, I think. Mm -hmm. But you, and you've used human hair and synthetic hair. Does it, is that a deliberate choice that you make or is it more a practical choice? It's a practical choice. You know, human hair is very expensive. Mm. And um, also like when I started wanting to use colors, mm. I was able to get these uh, hair strands, um, like human hair, you know, that has been colored. Mm -hmm. That's also like, but it's like short, it's like 10 or 12 mm -hmm. inches long. So I had to use it in a totally different manner, which mm -hmm. was fine, you know, and I've, you know, like, I figured out a way to like use that as an artwork. But, but uh, in the beginning I started using brown synthetic hair braids that look glossy and ready like, not like this clown hair, basically. <laughs> and uh, because I wanted to simulate human hair. Okay. I wanted, you know, to show something that looked like human hair. I was addressing human hair. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was no way I could make the installation that I wanted to do, you know, mm -hmm. with actual human hair. I mean, it would just... It's, it's so, so was there expensive. a shift then? Sorry, was there a shift when um, you went from making the hair look like, in a way, like what it's for, mm -hmm. to, have, to using it for installations and other work that looks nothing like yeah. The human head wearing hair. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems the, like I think totally that, you different. know, when I stopped using this natural hair color, mm. like when I stopped using, I, I not, didn't stop, I mean, I still use, you know, brown hair, but, uh, um, or black or white or whatever, but um, when I went head first into just, you know, allowing more color to enter my work, you know, it took me a long time, you know, and it's very funny because I usually I dress in very colorful clothes and. Mm. And, uh, you know, you know, I'm quite a colorful character, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so like, you know, it was kind of interesting to me and surprising to me, like how long it took me to find a place for all that, you know, love for all that color in my hair, mm -hmm. in my, in, in, in my work, mm -hmm. how long it took me to find the way to use color in yeah. my work. But, so tell me about your most recent installation, which is also a performance piece. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that and how, you know, how that came to be and how you, how you collaborated with somebody in this case. And what were the decisions, the big decisions you had to make about collaboration and performing and making a decision about in a, a site-specific installation? Yes. Um... Uh, Alana Heiss, uh, curator and uh, founder of the Clock Tower Gallery and uh, also the founder of PS1. Um, she was, uh, she's been running uh, the Clock Tower Gallery for many, 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 many years. And it's a legendary place in New York that has now closed down or, or, or moved. But uh, it uh, was a gallery space in the top of a clock tower. And uh, at some point, uh, 10 years ago or so, they had built the metal structure in that space, you know, like an architect had created a structure in there to be used for events and stuff like that, and with uh, plexiglass on it. And then they were going to take it down, and when they took off the plexi, the, the metal structure was really, you know, beautiful, mm. and uh, they wanted to commission an artist to work with that structure. And they asked me to do it, and um, 
and uh, it was great because it was an opportunity to opportunity to apply you know like ridiculous amount of hair mm-hmm. to speaking uh, of excessive right yes, this is where exactly, you could really yes. like think big yes it was really a, br- a brilliant uh, um, um, opportunity you know uh, that I was really happy to take on and um, and together with Alana, we were just discussed, you know, this kind of weeping willow, the effect of the hair hanging like the weeping willow and mm-hmm. like this kind of landscape and mythical places or mm-hmm. cartoony almost, you know, there's, my work is also inspired by Dr. Seuss, you know, and mm-hmm. the Muppets and you know what, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it, you can't like not see the connection, you know, I mean, it's not like a big um comment on that you know but mm-hmm. i think that like the aesthetic is mm. is uh, insp- inspiring to me and um so i decided to create this kind of beast slash landscape and uh and it uh, got the name nervescape that i made out of like nerve and landscape and uh, so I was try, uh, trying to make an imaginary kind of portrait mm. of the, the landscape of nerves and inner, you know, landscape that we have in our bodies. And so I, uh, I had uh, briefly uh, worked a little bit for <clears throat> with uh, uh, Kriya Brekkan, a musician from Iceland. And uh, she makes uh, a lot of like instrumental music, like, you know, sound effects and like looping and uh, like electronic music but uh, she's a singer also so it's not really only instrumental and um, so I asked her to basically come into the piece come into the project and be with me in the clock tower you know I got her a residency there respond to Mm -hmm. the piece and be inspired by to create like compose you know or create music there and she decided that she wanted to and we decided, you know, I asked her to perform in it too because, you know, she could take on this kind of like organism, creature type of uh, um, character so that you have this movement and soundscape, you know, to go with this landscape. Because, you know, it didn't feel uh, complete mm-hmm. without a sense of time or a sense of uh, um, life, you mm-hmm. know, or, or, or breath. I met you when the Nordic Fashion Biennial took place in Seattle in 2011, yeah. we decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we decided 2011 was the year. My sense of time is absolutely <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you are sometimes folded into fashion projects because it's yeah. certainly not the first thing that comes to my mind when I see your work. Um, but you seem to have some really nice relationships with designers. Yeah, and you know, so yeah. How do you see yourself like functioning within the world of fashion you know I've always been kind of flirting with it you know from mm-hmm. from early age just making mm-hmm. my own stuff making you mean like my, your own making clothes? my own clothes yeah. or accessories and like really interested in fashion mm-hmm. but uh, I never really like desired to be a f- you know fashion designer mm-hmm. but uh, I've been collaborating with other designers and friends you know on on diff- on pieces that are kind of one-offs mm-hmm. and um guess I'm not interested in the production part of mm-hmm. fashion <laughs> mm-hmm. I like making kind of unique like strange one-off pieces you know that mm-hmm. don't have to adhere to the market or or or, or to like logic you know mm-hmm. the logic of like 
yeah, I can make a hairy swimsuit that obviously is not going to be great to swim <laughs> in, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but it makes a great work of art, right? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's an extension of my performance art. It's an extension mm-hmm. of my uh, the th- the ongoing theme of vanity and uh, self-image and uh, um, identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of these things that, like, I made a promise to myself that, you know, if I'm truly inspired to work in, in, in a field that I think I can contribute to or, 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 or take on, you know, mm-hmm. I trust myself to take it on in, in, with whatever capacity that is, you know, I think it would be foolish or like kind of sad to deny myself that. It also seems to me that you get to sort of think in a slightly different way, that yeah. maybe the, the way that you might work with one collaborator or for one project might be like refreshingly different in a slightly yeah, way. Yeah, for example, one of these techniques, you know, of tatting the, or like felting the hair through netting, you know, like that came about because I needed to come up with like a different way of using the hair for a piece of clothing. Ah, okay. And uh, so it kind of pushes me, like, you mm-hmm. know, it's already there, like it's already like the, inspira- you know, like it's not like that inspires it, but it kind of pushes me to like explore and and like get out of my comfort zone yeah i think that's what it is you know i think you know that it brings me out of my bubble and kind of yeah i mean in the studio everything is so completely free i'm very free to do whatever you know but i guess it's also inspiring like to be given some limitations yeah to have some constraints sure some constraints you know and and um and it's interesting, you know, you have to solve some problems, you mm-hmm. know, so you kind of make something that you would never make otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like, you know, and I like, I make costumes for my own performances, you know, but then, you know, I can go and, and create a piece of clothing that, you know, so I feel like my artwork is kind of performing or like sneaking into another, you know, field. <laughs> And performing, crashing there. a different party, crashing a different party, definitely, <laughs> you know, and kind of like trying to fool everyone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> seems to be working. Though. Yeah, right. Um, so speaking of comfort zones, um, this question often makes people a little bit squirmy, <clears throat> just because I think it's so challenging. But we have this larger theme: how are we remembered? Mm-hmm. And I like to ask the question about how would you like to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think about your own legacy? Like, do you think about the work you want to be remembered for? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have even any any say in what work you're remembered for? I think Does I, that matter to you? Yeah, I think I was very clever to uh, come up with the word vanity as a part of uh, um, <laughs> my inspiration because I can just like indulge in this question as right, I want right. without feeling like really bad about it. But uh, I think that... Yeah, you know, um, you want to make a mark, you know, you want to, um, it's a great feeling, you know, to meet people that um, know your work mm. and it brings something positive to their life, you know, that it exists mm-hmm. and, you know, that's like totally bizarre to me and, and, and uh, you know, and very humbling and beautiful and uh, for me it's just like a fact of life that i don't think i could survive on this planet without doing what i do 
So you'd, you'd be doing it anyway, regardless of the kind of I would probably feedback be, you might I would get. Probably, if I didn't like, you know, manage to create some sort of income, I, I guess I would have to get a job, you know, another <laughs> job. But I think that uh, I could not be a fulfilled uh, human being, like mentally and... and uh, um, I don't, yeah, I don't think I could be uh, a very happy person, you know, if that was taken away from me. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's a way, it, it's a philosophy. I think, you know, being an artist is a life philosophy for me. Um, just exploring, like, you know, psychological matters and uh, concepts of the universe and uh, existence and and uh, um, humanity, anthropology. So is it the actual word legacy that is intimidating, do you think? Or I don't know like, if it's about, it? you know, you want to jinx strong, it, yeah. you know? I mean, you don't want to admit that uh, you would like to be remembered as, like, you know, as a brilliant mind or something. Yeah. I don't know. And it's really hard to, um, you know, uh, admit because um, it's so stigmatized by our idea of vanity. Uh, okay. And I think that uh, um, what I've been trying to do is like, you know, kind of fight for the right of vanity to be also considered a force, a beautiful force of nature that, mm. you know, makes us create uh, things and, you know, inspire other people, you know, to beautify ourselves and our surrounding. And, and so... Um, yeah, there is always like the, you know, the the part of the ego that uh, wants to be recognized. Well, thank you. Before I let you get back to work, mm -hmm. um, I would like to ask you to say your name for us so that we can all hear the correct my, pronunciation. My name is Hrapnildur uh, Arnardóttir. And thank you so much for letting me visit you thank in you. your studio. Thank you for thank coming you. and visiting me.